Welcome to Rainer's Radio, practical training for joint heirs with Christ, with your host, Diane Thomas. Good evening, and welcome to Rainer's Radio. This is Diane Thomas, your host. As usual, let's just take a moment and let everything else just fall by the wayside. And just remember that where you are is God's perfect place for you. May not be comfortable, may not be what where you would be choosing if you had your druthers. But your spirit has joined with God Himself and put you in the situation you're in. You have agreed with him to be in the situation you're in. And the big reason is to do all the necessary changes in your soul so that your soul can be restored to your spirit. This is God's job, not yours, not mine. In our day-to-day walk, as we get up, we, we go about our daily business, we go to bed at night, our focus is much less on how we're doing, how we're, even our progress, or our, you know, our mistakes, or our victories. Rather, what we're looking for and this comes through time and patience and practicing being in his presence and waiting on him. It comes from allowing him to do his job and staying focused on what he draws our attention to. Now, sometimes he will draw our attention to the changes he's making. We have a tendency to think, oh, you know, let's use the example of patience. We have a tendency to think that, okay, I need to work on patience. God's bringing my attention to, I'm impatient in this area. Or I'm impatient with this person. Or I'm impatient with myself or with God, whatever. You know, it's a long list of people we can be impatient with. We can be impatient with God, with this earth, even things that are going on in the world. And yet, God is showing us that impatience is a problem. Not so we will try harder to be patient, but so that we can put a mark there, so that down the road, a week, a month, a year later, we can look back and go, I'm not impatient with that person anymore. That situation doesn't bother me anymore. God has changed me. God has healed me. God has united my soul with my spirit in that patient area. And that's the way God addresses things, item per item. Now, sometimes he does 
sweeping changes. To know is God is not dependent. He's, he can do things however he chooses. He doesn't have to use great, huge crisis events. He doesn't need to back us into a corner. He can make these changes in whatever circumstances he wants. Now your soul, we all, our soul, again, it's programmed. It, it's solical DNA is control, is to control its environment, to control your mind, your will, and your emotions, to control God. It's basically, you know, almost kind of desperate. You know, your soul wants to bring in everything real close to it so it can manage it, so it can control it. And your soul wants to build tall walls and have doors with locks on them and be in charge of everything. And there's a desperation that can come and a frustration when things don't go your soul's way. And we remind ourselves that those are qualities that God has incorporated into our soul. Those are all strengths of our soul. Our problem is that that control has been left in charge. You and I have become reliant on the strength of our soul to control our environment rather than being dependent on the Spirit of God. This was intentional. God wanted it to happen this way because it is in the process of our soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, being reunited with your spirit that we learn these super valuable lessons. We learn appreciation. We learn what a victory is. We learn how to make mistakes, how to overcome shame, how to overcome guilt, regret, how to identify our enemies, how to battle and overcome our enemies. These are all things that Adam and Eve could never experience. It's not that they didn't, it's that they couldn't. Because they were already in the kingdom with God. They were already one with him. So there, there was no change for them. Day after day after day, they lived in absolute bliss. There was no shadow. There was no change. There was no, no cloud before the sun. It was constant paradise. They didn't know any better. I mean, to say, well, doesn't get that get boring? I, you know, I'd love to, love to try that theory out. But they didn't have any other experience. All they had was a perfect union with God and with one another. So they were, they were never wounded. They were never rejected. They were never in lack. They never had anything they never needed anything. They never wanted everything. So we could say that 
those things we're experiencing now are for our benefit so that we can experience and learn and know what it is to need, to want, to be wounded and rejected, that those things are valuable to God. We don't know why. We don't know why God might value being appreciated. I I suspect it's because he wants to give us more responsibility. He wants us to be acting more like who we are. You know, I don't think Adam and Eve had any compassion or empathy. They've never had to struggle, so they never had could relate to anything struggling. In fact, there was no struggle on the earth. But having that perfection, being in paradise, meant they didn't experience the full range of the soul's experience here on this earth. So he had to change by 180 degrees their experience, their life experience. I've mentioned before, we have no idea how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. And let's for just now, let's just assume that the, that, um, illustration is accurate that they were in a garden and they you know adam named the animals and they had you know the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they they communed with god in the cool of the day and then something changed something happened the serpent got in there and they and enticed eve to eat of the fruit of the of the tree of good and of the knowledge of good and evil not good and evil but the knowledge she saw there was another option available and adam joined her in that this was god's intent that that serpent that choice that option was didn't get in there behind God's back. So it was meant to accomplish something that fulfills God's purpose for us as his creation to begin with. Now, we really don't know the nature of spirit. We don't know how spirit works. I don't know whether the spirit you and I have was created and then made into spirit or whether we're little chunks of, of God as spirit. Don't know that. I think it's probably more the latter than the former. But we're of the same character. We're of the same nature now in our spirit. But when we think of God's nature we know his nature is to love and he reveals that love by giving and he gives all manner of things 
to those who can receive unconditionally. He gives himself. He gives love, acceptance, value, but he also gives responsibility and creativity and challenge. And we, we know all the examples in the scriptures about, for instance, the, the potter and the clay and the wineskin of how he is working in us with a goal, with an intent, with purpose. It's not just to get us into heaven. Our motivation is based on loving him and wanting to have a restored relationship. It's not about accomplishing something or earning something, but accepting unconditionally what he gives unconditionally. And then because we have his nature, his spirit nature, we also do the same thing. We give unconditionally without expecting anything in response. The most we can do, at least it all is encompassing in just being grateful, just saying thank you. You know, what What do we say when he comes through in a situation? We've been praying about something and it comes past. Or we avoid, a, you know, a bad accident. We basically barely get, you know, uh, get through an accident, through an, uh, uh, an interchange without getting hit. And we say, thank you, Lord. We're grateful that we escaped something. And even if we have to go through hard times, we say, thank you, Lord, for getting me through this. And even when somebody does something nice to us, we say, thank you. We're grateful. That's also part of our soul. That's also part of the control. Our soul is, on the one hand, complex because we have spent so little time understanding how it works and how the solical realm works and how the supernatural realm works. But it's also very simple because its actions are simple. God is reuniting, restoring our mind. Restoring our mind to what? To relationship with spirit. He's healing our emotions. So that our emotions are one with our spirit. He's bringing our will into alignment with his. So that we are one with him. And we see things as he sees them. So we're all on the same page. So we are, you know, what's the example? Being yoked with him. So we're not behind, we're not you know, we're, we're not in front. We're not turning to the left when he's turning to the right. When, when we are working together with him. Why is that important? Well, it's important to him. He values that. He values us being restored with him. I think partly because he, again, wants to give us more of himself. We could say that the 
experience that Adam and Eve were having with God, let's say they'd been in that garden a hundred million years or a thousand a thousand years. Pick one, somewhere in between. Doesn't really matter. But it was going to be the same day after day after day. Now, Adam and Eve were probably fine with that. It was probably, it was an idyllic living situation. They were never going to get bored. Because God being creative, they too were creative. They were participating in everything God was doing in the spirit. They knew each other after the spirit. They knew themselves as fully holy and righteous and above time, above space, everything God was doing everywhere, they were participating in. So there was never a dull moment. The thing is, is they would never change. They would never grow in their soul because their soul was part of their spirit. They, what they knew about God what they knew about themselves, what they knew about their, the earth, the, their existence, would never change because they were never going to experience anything other than their idyllic experience. So God, you know, the example of, of how does a, you know, a bird teach its baby to fly as it kicks it out of the nest. And that's what God did to Adam and Eve. It kicked them out of the nest so they could learn about what their soul could do. This is not, was never about their spirit because their spirit didn't change. Now their spirit was separated. And again, this, these are things we don't understand. When Adam and Eve fell or lowered were were separated from their spirit where did their spirit go was adam's spirit dormant within him and then just hung out and back in, in the closet quiet and silent and didn't involve anything you know because c- the spirit can't die but it was separated it was no longer the main life force of of Adam or Eve. And when you and I were born, we were born without knowing what our spirit was. Or does our spirit hang out somewhere else? Is our spirit, is your spirit, is my spirit, just hanging out with God? And then then when we're born again and we are re-spirited, does our spirit come back to join with the soul that God designated for it. Don't know. I'm, I suspect that it's probably more complicated than that, but maybe not because God is very straightforward and, and a lot of times we try to make complex what he has made simple and we can just accept that we're in the process of learning these things. But I also think God delights in his plans. He likes to reveal himself. He likes to show his cards. You know, he's at the he's at the table 
playing a card game, and he calls us over, and he wants us to look over his shoulder to see what what he what he's got in his hand. Now he's always got the winning hand. He's always got something up his up his sleeve, but he wants us to enjoy the process of what he's doing. So you and I, we we can focus, we can keep our attention and our effort on the things that we are that God intends us to have control over. And that's not in changing our soul but learning how our soul functions. So let's say that, you know, when when Jesus came on this earth, now he came and his spirit and soul were already united. But Jesus still had to learn how his soul worked, just as he had to learn how his body worked. I mean, he wasn't born all all of a sudden knew how to, already knew how to walk. You know, he still had to learn how to roll over, and he he soiled his diapers, and he made a mess when he ate. And he was a little baby, and he went through all the different processes, all the different stages of being a little baby, then a child, then a, then a bratty teenager. And he learned through those things that he went through. And he had the same hard knocks. He was probably bullied. He didn't have... Uh, you know, his parents, there were some issues there, we could say. And obviously he knew he was different. And he had to learn how to deal with that. And here he was, he was the incarnate son of God. His spirit and soul were one. He never had to deal with the flesh. He never had to deal with his soul being separated from his spirit but he still had to learn how his soul worked. And that's what you and I have to focus on. How does our soul work? Let's use an example where healing, where the, I think it was a Roman soldier came up to him and said, my, you know, I think daughter or son or somebody was ill. And he said, you know, um, Jesus said, okay, I'll come and heal him. And he said, no, all you have to do is say the word. And Jesus marveled, how, you know, where have I, I've never seen faith like this. Where did you get this, this faith? He said, well, I'm a commander, and I know I can send my soldiers to do thus and so, and they will do so. And I know that's the power and authority you have. And he learned, probably by observation and by his own experience, this is how Power and authority works in worked in the man called Jesus, and he kind of related to himself, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus sent the word, and there was a healing. But you know, Jesus had to learn that for himself first. We've talked before about Lazarus raising the dead. You and I have that power and authority in our soul right now. In fact, everybody does. Everybody has that power and authority in their soul. But we've not learned how to use it. We've been separated from the source of life 
And so we've been left with our own strength and our own control to try to manage our very existence. And learning to use our abilities, our solical abilities, is above existence living. You know, when you're, when you're drowning, you're in the middle of the ocean, you're drowning. You're not thinking about how you're going to retire. You're thinking about survival. Survival for the next five minutes, for the next ten. And then when you see, you know, a shark fin, okay, you're thinking about, okay, the next 30 seconds and what it's going to be like to die. So our environment so often overwhelms what God intends for our soul to be learning. So we're working on developing our soul to pay attention to the things that we are supposed to be learning. So back to Jesus and Lazarus. Do you think Lazarus was the first person Jesus rose from the dead? I don't. I think he probably started with animals. Maybe, you know, a dead frog. And he raised it. And then a bigger one, a bigger animal, maybe, a, you know, an, uh, a cat or a, a donkey. And then a person. And I think he learned how to do these things, how to heal. You know, he learned how to see God, how to know God, how to hear from him, how to be with him, how his his soul had to learn how to function on this earth. And the big, huge difference was his soul was always in perfect union with his spirit. So he didn't have the dual track going on. You and I have the dual track that even while we are working to learn how our soul works, how our soul functions, why those abil- how those abilities work, even as we're learning how to do that, God is restoring our soul. God is changing our soul. So there's two major things going on in our soul. And that in and of itself, I believe, is also valuable to God. There's things we're learning through that process that we can only learn this way. It's like juggling. And I think, you know, Jesus made mistakes. You know, he, it's trial and error. That's, that's part of our existence here on this earth. Even if it was just, you know, losing his temper. You know, he learned things. He learned obedience through the things he suffered starting from as a child. We are not to be afraid of making mistakes because we're going to try things and we're going to, you know, we most of us learn more from doing things wrong than doing things accidentally right. So we want to embrace trial and error. We want to embrace doing things wrong. But we stay focused that 
the process is on our side of the soul, not God's side. God's going to be restoring our soul even while we are learning how it works. So there's going to be times when we, okay, this is how, you know, raising the dead, this is how healing, this is how word of of prophecy or, or understanding knowledge or even seeing into the future. Let's use that as an example. We can see God shows us a glimpse into the future, and then we find out because God changes our soul in an area that we were misinterpreting what we saw. So what? We learn something. It's not about being right. It's not about being perfect. It's not about glorifying God or being an example of this is what God, you know, knowing God looks like. This is not about salvation. This is not about bringing others to Christ. It's about experiencing what God has intended for each one of us for each day. So we say thank you for each day. And we say, Lord, what is it today that you want me to focus on? I'm going to let you do your part. And I'm going to focus on learning to live as a spirit being that has a soul, that is learning to do soulical things, and has a body and lives here on this earth for a specific time. We don't know what comes next. We don't know what came before. We are to enjoy the process, regardless whether it's whether our life here is 80 years or 800 it's short so we can enjoy it and we can be grateful for this is the day the lord has made for you for his purposes to achieve what he wants in restoring your soul and you want it to you're one with him you've agreed to this You understand what he's trying to do, and you say, yes, Lord, thank you. So spend some time this week just asking the Lord, what part of my soul are we working on? And let him teach you how to do it. He's your teacher. You don't need anybody else. He's your teacher. And he may teach you a totally different way than what we're talking about here. That's fine. You don't need anything other than God himself. He's, he's enough. He's everything. He's all you need. So we will be getting back together again the same time next week. Feel free to drop me a line at diane at org or through Blog Talk Radio. Until next week, thanks for tuning in. This has been Diane Thomas of Rainers Radio. Have a great night. <laughs>